0: following is brought to you by Canyon Ridge Church at Tacoma. For additional podcasts or information on service times and upcoming events, please visit us online at www.explorecrc.com. God us, and we're going through the major themes of the Bible, looking at creation, fall, redemption. Redemption, we're going to be looking at two parts. Next, uh, Tuesday, this coming Tuesday, we 're going to be looking at incarnation, incarnation of Jesus. And today we 're looking at the redemption. And um, you know, hard transition here. Um, <laughs> part of that is uh, here in, in Christmas time, we, we talk about how Jesus came, but a lot of times we don't know necessarily what that means. Instead of focusing on Jesus, a lot of times we focus on Christmas presents, right? And there was a a boy who was focusing, a little boy who was focusing on Christmas presents. And he was writing a letter to Santa, but he knew that Santa wasn't real, so he was actually writing it to Jesus and and thinking of Jesus as Santa. And so he was writing this letter, and he said, Dear Jesus, if I'm good for three weeks, will you please give me a bike? And then he crumpled up the letter because he knew it was not likely he was going to be good for three weeks. And so he rewrote a letter, letter, letter and said, Dear Jesus, if I'm good for two weeks, will you give me a bike? Before he even finished the sentence, he crumpled the letter up because he knew two weeks was, not, was the stretch. So then he, started, he wrote another letter and say, wrote, Dear Jesus, if I'm good for one week, dot, 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 crumpled the letter and knew that even one week was not going to happen to be realistic. And so then he got an idea and he went and he stole a, a picture of a, a, a statue of Mary from his mother's mantle and said, Jesus, if you want to see your mother again, give me a bike. Right? And, uh, and this is a lot of times what, what we look at in Christmas, in Christmas time. We look at, hey, it's really all about, about presents, it's all about my physical circumstances. And so we, we think if we can just change our physical things, like, Like, if I can just get, like, we were shopping yesterday and thinking about, like, I was thinking about all different things that I could get my kids. They're not here right now, so it's fine to talk about this. Don't tell them, though. Uh, (laughs) um, But we were trying to think of some things that we are going to get them. And then I thought, you know what? It doesn't really matter. Like, I got them something last year. I think I got them, like, a a scooter or something. It's in the garage collecting dust. Like, I think, oh, I'm going to get these things, and it's going to be life-changing, right? I'm going to get that new camera that I wanted. It's going to be life-changing. I'm going to get that Apple Watch I wanted. It's going to be life-changing. I'm going to get that new k- kitchen device. It could really be life-changing. You know, kitchen devices are really useful. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but, you, you know, we, we think we're just going to get this thing. It can be really life-changing. And, and you see, part of that is because of our, our sin, because of what we talked about last week, we said that sin is not just an action, it's not just something we do to turn away from God. Sin really is a, a wrong belief, or it's a wrong identity based on a wrong belief about God. And we looked at how, how, how all the things that result out of that, one of the things that result out of that is, is this idea that we don't really need God, we can just change our physical circumstances and then that will change everything about our life. And that's kind of what we tend to think about. And then this gets into real-life circumstances, like, you know, I, I, my marriage isn't going well, so really to, what makes my marriage to go well is just to change relationships. Or, you know, I don't like this job, so I want to change jobs. And, and really, it, we're not dealing with our, our, more of our emotional or mental health in that that's causing us to have issues issues in the job it's just changing physical circumstances changing the things around me but it doesn't change the deep inner things inside of me out of which the issues of life flow that's what 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 happened that's what i want to talk to you about today because in in israel in the old testament in the in the sense of redemption redemption what god the the context of redemption let me read off some of the the definitions Um, in the context of redemption, ah, it is, um, I'm losing my notes here. It's to loose, um, let me find it. Ah, I think I lost one of my notes. All right, well, I'll just do it from memory. Okay, (laughs) go, go, go figure. It's to, to loose from a bondage. It's to, um, it's ultimately, I think, re- redemption in the Old Testament sense, yes, is to loose from a bondage, but it's also to um, redeem. I think to redeem is to bring it back to its original state, to bring it back to what God really wanted it to be. That, and, and so it was, it was to do all those things. And, and ultimately, in, in the Old Testament, we see God changing the circumstances of Israel. And, and, then, and as he changes the circumstances, they keep coming back. The, the thing that is the, the, the greatest example of this is the, um, the Exodus story, when, when God delivers Israel from Egypt. And so um, that's the story I want to look at today, is when God delivers Israel from Egypt. And that is the thing that I lost. So I'm going to grab my notes real quick. <laughs> Thanks. This is why I don't always print stuff off. (laughs) Thank you. All right. Read along with me. Exodus 14.10. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, "'Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt?' Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Moses answered the people. So so let me stop for a sec. Here's what they're saying. They're saying, hey, you brought us out to this desert. These physical circumstances don't look very good right now. It doesn't look like salvation. It doesn't look, God, like you're actually trying to get my best. And, and so they're saying, hey, it would have been better for us to have gone back to Egypt, back to slavery, than to be here. And often that's how we feel about life. It, 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 we feel like we, we become a Christian, we accept Jesus, and then we, we, we come into a new relationship with him, and we believe in the restoration, we believe that God wants to, to make our lives better, and so we look around at our physical circumstances, and we accept Jesus, and so we're saying, okay, God, now great, I've accepted Jesus. Now I've started this new relationship. And yet our circumstances don't change. They stay the same. Sometimes even you accept Jesus, God forbid, and you see things get worse in your life. And you're like, this doesn't match what I thought following Jesus was supposed to look like. And So what, what's going on here? And so this is the mentality that they have. God has set them free. He's brought them out of bondage from Egypt, and, and they're free now, and, but yet Pharaoh's coming back at them. And I just wonder sometimes if this is the mentality that we have, that sometimes we accept Jesus, we're free in, in Jesus, we, we're free spiritually, we've been brought into a new relationship with God, but yet when that happens, oftentimes that's when, when the enemy tries to attack you because he wants you back. He wants you back in the ways that you used to behave in. He wants you back in addiction. He wants you back in, in uh, drunkenness. He wants you back in, in always seeking after power and always seeking after money. And so when we, when we, we, we are set free in Jesus, there's a lot of times where, where we'll, we won't experience that fully because God has to work a redemption inside of us, and that takes time. It takes time to do that. So let's finish um, in, in Exodus 14. Moses answered the people, Do not be afraid. Stand firm, and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you, t- you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You only need to be still. Then the Lord said to Moses, Why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on raise your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. Here's what Moses or what God really is saying to the Israelites through Moses. He's saying your situation might not look good right now. Your circumstances might not look good physically your circumstances. But you've entered into a new relationship with the creator of the universe, to the Lord Almighty. And a lot of times, what, when we see our circumstances aren't good, we see our, 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 maybe we can't pay our mortgage, maybe there's marital trouble, maybe there's issues with our kids going astray, financially we're, we're, we're struggling, whatever it is, if we see physically the circumstances around us difficult, our first reaction is, we want to do something about it. And I totally understand that, because that's oftentimes my first reaction is to go and try to do something about it. And so I want to step in to the circumstances and make a difference. But what Moses is saying to the people, really God is saying through Moses to the people is, hey, trust me. Just be still. The Lord will fight for you. But that doesn't mean, so he said, be still. The Lord's going to fight for you. Right after that, he says, stop crying out to me. Go do something. Take a step of faith. Right? So it's not just that we we sit down and don't do anything, but it's that we believe, even in the midst of the the difficult situations in life, that we're still gonna take a step of faith because of what God is doing on the inside of us. And and throughout the Old Testament, we see that that you know what's paradigmatic or what's the great example of redemption in the Old Testament is is God taking Israel out of Egypt. and while that's, you know, we see that, and that's a great story to keep going back to, the pattern we see in the Old Testament is God continually changing the physical cir- circumstances of Israel. Here's Israel, these people that God has raised up from Abraham. It, he, he promised Abraham that through all nations you will be, your offspring will, will be a blessing to the world, that all nations will be blessed because of you. And, and he takes this nation Israel, that is the offspring of Abraham, and he says, hey, this nation I'm going to use, and I'm going to focus on this, this nation, and they are going to be a light to all the other nations. They're going to be a priesthood to all the other nations. They're going to show the world what it means to be the people of God. And, and, and so they think in their mind, Physical circumstances. That means my kingdom. That means we're going to have the kingdom of Israel. We're going to have all this this great stuff, and other. He's going to look to us and as, as an example because we have all this great stuff, and they're going to be. We want to be like you. That's not what God meant at all. God is trying to say, no, it's not about you getting this great kingdom. It's about you being a light to the nations by serving them, by witnessing to them, by showing them what it means to have real shalom. Real shalom, real peace is real peace, first of all, with me. It's not real peace. It's not real, because we equate comfort with peace, right? We think that if I just have, if I have comfort, if I have if my bank's accounts financially secure, then I'm going to have peace. We equate comfort with peace. We don't equate, a lot of times, chaos and, and difficulty in our situation with peace. In spite And even in spite of that, God says you can have a peace that surpasses understanding. So even when your situation's in chaos, your circumstances are in chaos, I don't want to say situation too much. My wife will talk to me afterward. Uh, (laughs) You don't want to say that. Um, So even if you have that, you can still have a peace. So people are going to look at you and they say, I don't understand how you can have peace given the physical circumstances that you're in right now. But that is what God, that's the peace God wants to offer us. That is the redemption that God wants to offer us. But instead, Israel, the pattern is God changes, they, they, they go through difficulty, God brings up a way to save them, they feel better, they follow God for a while, and then they turn away from God. And, and, and this is something where it's, we see time and time again through the Old Testament that God is trying to bring the shalom, trying to, to help these people experience wholeness, to then bring wholeness, to bring completeness to the world. But time and time again, Israel fails, and they don't get it right. But what we see in, in the Bible is we see um, that what God wants to do instead is he wants to to help? Because we see that there's even though Israel failed, we do see signs of Israel or people in Israel getting it and and following God and doing what's right. And so in Hebrews eleven, it, it talks about. It's called the Hall of, of Faith, of a Hall of of Fame. It's it's the all the people in the Old Testament who who get it. And the thing about this though is is that. All of these people are complicated people, just like me, just like you. You see, Noah, who God used powerfully to help basically save the human race, was also a drunkard. God used Abraham and said, all the nations will be blessed through you, but Abraham was a liar. God used Moses, and and he used Moses to powerfully bring the Israelites out of Egypt but Moses was a murderer. God powerfully used David, and and David was a king over Israel and really cemented their their place as a a nation, their identity as a nation, their identity as the people of God, and he wrote all, like, the book of Psalms, and, and David was such a powerful figure, but David was also a murderer, an adulterer. You see, God can use complicated people, so if You believe that your life is too complicated or that your sin is too great or that your your life is too far gone and God can't use you. I want you to know that you are in a great place because God uses complicated people to make a difference in the world. And he can use you if you would just make yourself available to him in faith that he could use you to make a difference in this world. Because that really is what makes the difference is faith. Hebrews 11.1 one says that faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. In other words, faith is that thing that you believe something, and so you take a step. It's the evidence of things not seen. You, you believe in God, and so you're going to act in accordance with what you believe. That is faith. And faith is the catalyst for redemption in your life. Faith is, is what is going to be the seed that's going to lead to true redemption in your life. But see the, the modern day. So so there's kind of a, a two two different ways, right? We've talked about God redemption, just changing God's physical circumstances, versus versus God change spiritual redemption. God changing us in our heart and in our faith to then add, have have that be a catalyst to change our life. But see the modern day equivalent of what of what e, of what Israel was thinking when they came out of Egypt, because they were just thinking, if I change my physical circumstances, then uh, then I'll be okay. The modern equivalent of that is is called secular humanism. It's secular in the sense that you don't need God. It's humanism in the sense that there is a belief in humanism that um, if you are are if you a belief in humanism that. Ultimately, the, the human race is, is, has the power to be able to overcome all of our obstacles and to make a difference. It's, it's a belief, hey, we don't need God to describe how the world came to be. We don't need God for morality. All we need really is, is just humans and to follow humanity, and, and we'll be able to make a difference in the world. Underlying that belief really is the sense that, hey, humanity generally, there's some bad apples, right? You know, there's some bad apples around there. But generally, humanity is good. And what we see as a result of this are are so many things. This came about in the 1700s. So we've now been over 300 years of this type of thinking. And a lot of what we see in our nation today is as a result of the secular humanist thought. So, you know, a lot of the things with identity politics and you know, with, with you can't judge me because if we, bring, if we take God out of the picture, there's no objective standard. There's no standard by which we can judge each other. So whatever you do, that if it, as long as it doesn't hurt me, then it's okay. And so we can't judge each other based on anything. And so we start being able to kind of become looser and looser with what we accept as tolerable because, you know, there's no really moral standard for us to judge each other by. Also, what we see is, is we begin to equate our actions with our identity. And so what I do is who I am. And so you can't judge me because I was born this way. And then we begin to see that you know we can't, we can't, we can't judge people by how, by how they, they are. And so this is like what I talked about last week. Now we have people with species identity disorder where they, they think they were born a cat. And we can't say anything about that and they've lost their humanity, and they've, and they've lost ultimately the image of God who they were, pat, were meant to pattern their life after because of this. But one of the things that we see as a result of this is that we begin to think that everybody is good, and so if we just give them the right physical stuff, if we just give them the right resources, or if people just had the right opportunities then they would they would prove themselves that they are really good. And, and the, what I, so what I've seen in the nonprofit world is, hey, if, if somebody is going through, um, like they've gone through some kind of financial struggle or they're experiencing homelessness or they're going through drug addiction, all they really need is just we need to give them a house, we need to give them a job, we need to give them a car. And, and once we give them those things, then they're going to be fine. And what I see time and time again is, is the government, the nonprofit world, throwing money at people, throwing money, throwing money, throwing money, and yet we don't see real transformation in people's lives because you can have a house and still be a broken person. You can have a car and still be sinful and still caught in addiction, still caught in patterns of sin that will still continue to lead you back into places of brokenness in your life and you're not experiencing real redemption In your life, because your physical circumstances have changed, but your heart hasn't. And and that's what we see is that it really has to come down to a heart change. And so that's secular humanism. But on the other side, there's biblical theology. Biblical theology, we don't ultimately look at you as good, does not look at human nature as good. We do believe that you were created in the image of God, and even in the fall, the, the image of God was not lost. But it does need to be redeemed. And so all of all humanity is, and all of creation is, is affected by sin. And is all, and is all marred by, by sin and is, is broken. That is the foundation of that. And God is saying, our nature is not by nature good. Our nature is selfish. And if you don't believe me, it means all that tells me is you don't have children. All that tells me is you haven't driven on 512 around 5 o'clock at at night. Uh, You somehow have missed the, the fact that human race, humanity, is by nature selfish. But yet, there is something in each and every one of us, and I call it the image of God, that God wants to redeem, that God wants that place that he wants to touch, that he wants to, to re- bring that, that image that he created us. He wants to bring us back to his original design. I'd love to say some people talk about um, OG we want to need to talk about OD not OD as in like like the other way like but, like but OD as in we need to get back to our original design and the way we do that is by being in the presence of God. That's what God wants to do. He is a pursuing God. Because he's pursuing us to redeem us, to to buy us back. That's what redeem means, to buy us back, to bring us back into the original pattern, into the original created image that you and I were were made in, to bring us back to that because he has a plan and he wants you to play a part. And you have a potential in that. You have a potential, but it's only going to come on the foundation of who he's created you to be. And so we're looking for shallow solutions to really deep needs that really require shalom. And so I, in the remaining time that I have left, I want to focus on three things that are, are really um, part of the idea of shalom. And, and I, I get this from Jeremiah 29.7. It says in Jeremiah 29.7, also Seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. See, that's that's that word is also seek the shalom of the city. It's really not the peace and prosperity. It's only one word in the Hebrew. And that one word is, is the word shalom. Seek the shalom of the city, for if it has shalom, then you will have shalom too. You will have completeness, wholeness, the thing that that video described. You'll have that too, only if, too, but it's tied up with the shalom of the city. And so I want to look at what does it mean to to practically live out shalom in our lives. First, it's transactional versus transformational. You guys know transaction. A transaction is if, if I went to the store and I bought something, it's because I had, you know, I went to the, the gas station um, t- confession time for me because I wanted to buy a pumpkin spice latte at the gas station. I know don't judge me I really like the gas station hot chocolate it's cheap you know every now and then I'm just going to treat myself don't judge me here I can just I'll, if I, if you judge me I'll, I'll pray to the Holy Spirit and he'll bring something out and I'll say it call it out right here on the thing. I like my gas station hot chocolate every now and then okay so <laughs> So I do that. So I want my gas station hot chocolate. I go to the gas station. I buy it. That's a transaction. It's a very simple, like, I needed something, I got something. You take it another way, in terms of care, transactional care is, hey, my child fell down, skinned their knee. I put a Band-Aid on it. We're all good. There can be transactional relationships. And this is the sense that as, as I'm just... I'm, I'm just giving you what you need, you're giving me what I need, we're all good. And so much, this is, it becomes short-term relief-oriented solutions to really deep developmental problems. Let me explain that a little bit. Short-term relief-oriented solutions. Oftentimes, when we look at the circumstances of our life, kind of in the, this, this idea that redemption is physical circumstances, you know that's bringing us out of bondage. We just say, "Well, okay, I want I, this job's not working for me. I need a new job." But yet we don't deal with the underlying emotional, mental health issues that are leading us into places where you know the job's not working. Or take for instance, we we want this relationship's not working, so I'm going to jump into this relationship. But yet, I'm not sure how this person is, if they're really good for me, and and I'm kind of hurt from my last relationship, but I'm feeling lonely, so I'm just going to jump into a new relationship. This is transactional solutions to deep developmental problems. See, you can keep going from physical circumstance to physical circumstance, from job to job, relationship to relationship, from community to community, moving around And yet, you're not dealing with the deep inner stuff that is causing you a lot of these issues. Like I said, out of the out of the heart flow a lot of the issues of life, and so you're you're because and we don't want to do that. Oftentimes, because transformational solutions, the deep developmental solutions, take time. It takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of reflection. It takes a lot of connecting with, with God, connecting with others, counsel, people around us, give, telling us. It takes a lot of time, and we don't want to take the time to really focus on that. And so we just settle for transactional solutions in our life, and then we, it leads us to places where it doesn't feel right for us, but that's because we never knew what was right for us in the first place when we accepted the opportunity, and so we're constantly in places, and we never live up to our potential because we don't know who we are because we're constantly settling for transactional solutions to our life. My heart is that, you, that people, that us, you and I, would begin to stop sometimes and begin to say, what are some transformational solutions? How can I begin to do the deep inner work inside me that will lead me to make the right choices in my life? See, we've got to settle, we've got to start opting for transformational, not transactional solutions. The second thing is often we opt for material solutions where really what we need is holistic solutions. See, the, the, uh, the concept of shalom is that, that there's four relationships that are, are meant to be in harmony. There's our relationship with God, our relationship with ourselves, so that's knowing our identity in, in Jesus, which we're going to be doing a series on our identity in Jesus starting in January, um, our relationship with others, and then our relationship with creation. And shalom is that all of those things are working well together. We, we are at peace with God through Jesus, and we're, we're growing in our relationship with Jesus. We, because of that relationship, we know who we are. We know our identity. Because, of, we know, because we have peace with God and peace with ourselves, peace in our heart, it's not conflict between what we're doing and who we are. We can now have peace with others. It begins to flow out out of that into peace with other people. And finally, into peace of all creation. That's what God originally had in the Garden of Eden. And and what what happened was all of that was broken. Sin came in and created, broke up all those relationships, all four relationships. And so it broke our relationship with God, and and now all of a sudden we were trying to earn our way back. And ultimately the only way back is, is through a relationship with Jesus. It broke our relationship with ourselves. We didn't know who we are because we were further away from God the God we were created to image. It broke our relationship with others because Adam and Eve started blaming each other. And uh, you know, that never happens in marriage for real, right? Um, and, then, and, then, uh, and then it broke our relationship with creation. We started exploiting the world rather than harnessing the potential and stewarding the world that God gave us. And so sin came in and broke all of these relationships and led to a sense of poverty, that's what I say. Poverty is it is it is it merely we lacked shalom in those areas, we we didn't have that, and so oftentimes the way this practically comes is um, we we diagnose problems as material when really it was holistic. They the, really things are broken and need to be made complete, need to be made whole, holistic solutions. So it reduces solutions down to one aspect of our being because of sin. So take, for instance, um, a a traditional thing churches have, a deacon's fund. So you take a deacon's fund, somebody who's in financial trouble comes to the church and asks for money from the church. And so the church, uh, you know, they have some deacons who come together and, and figure out, hey, how can we give money to this person to help them do better? And uh, so they try to figure out some things. Well, maybe we have to get like a, we need to get a um, a, a some statement from them showing that they're financial trouble, like a utility bill, or we need to get like a reference from them, or or maybe we set some guidelines, like we only give to the same person twice, and then never again, or we won't pay for the same thing two months in a row. And so we set some guidelines, and we figure some things out. And, and maybe then we try to help the person, but again, it comes to a transactional problem, but even deeper than that, a transactional relationship, really, um, but even deeper than that, maybe we, we, we help somebody and we give them some money, but maybe the deeper need really is for something else. So we, we, we think all problems are material, so we respond with a material solution, but maybe there's a woman who comes to us and need gro- needs groceries but her deeper issue is domestic violence at home or there's a, a person that comes to us and they you know they need some money to pay rent but their deeper need really is for job training so that they can really get a job to be able to support themselves long term or or you know so those are some some instances where we try to deal with things in a material way and and the way i think people that we deal with this is oftentimes, again, we try to respond to the situations, the problems that we face in life with hey, if I just change my house, if I just change my job, if I just change, you know, my, my community, then things are going to be fine because we look at the physical circumstances. But what we really need to think is where am I broken in my life? Where are the, where are the ways? Have I stopped to take a look? At, like there's a, a wheel that I had one time when I was, I was walking people through, and it, it kind of began to have you rate yourself and how you're doing in, in different areas of your life. Have we stopped to, to take really a, a account of how we're doing in the different areas of our life? How is our mental health? How is our emotional health? How is our, our physical health too? How is our, our family life? How is our time management? How are the? How is our finances? We begin to look at every single area of our life, and we begin to have a bigger, more holistic picture of who we are. I think that's what God wants. He wants us to have a greater peace, because ultimately, then it, the core of it all needs to come back to my soul, my spirit. How is my relationship with Jesus? Thank you for the soundtrack to my sermon. That's awesome, um, uh, but. How is how 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 are things going with me from a holistic solution versus just responding from a material way? And and lastly, what I want to say is it, Shalom requires not just that we look for a transformational solution, not just that we look for a holistic solution, but that we look for a relational solution. See, so much of, of society is telling us, hey, you can just handle things yourself. Um it, the, the, market, the ads and everything, it's not showing you, hey, go and find somebody else for help. It's saying, hey, buy this stuff and then handle the situation yourself. And it's all individualistic solutions. But what Jeremiah 29.7 and what God is trying to tell us for redemption really is that your shalom is tied up with the shalom of others. See, as we begin to seek the shalom of our city and seek the shalom of others, we begin to put ourselves in community with others. And we begin to find that, hey, there's, I was alone, and now I have friends around me. I, was, I, was, um, I, didn't, I lacked skills, and skills I didn't even know I lacked that I needed. And here's this person over here where they're really getting it going on in their time management skills. And I didn't know that I really lacked... Time management skills. And so now, all of a sudden, I'm, I'm learning this, too. And, and then I find out there's, there's service opportunities, and I can explore my significance because I'm involved in community. You see, when we get involved in community, we begin to find our shalom because we're seeking the shalom of the community. And this is where we stand right now. When we look out, our world is broken, if you don't know that, just watch the news. I mean, our president was impeached this, th- this last week. Now, I'm not saying for or against, Democrat, Republican, whatever. But when you watch that, you can see all the vitriol, all the hatred, all the fact that these people, they hate one another. These are the people we've elected to work together to bring our nation to wholeness. And they are more divided than any of us. How can we as a nation begin to come together? And ultimately, it's only through Jesus Christ because he is the one that is the prince of shalom. He is the one that can transform our identity so that we can be a light to this world, so that we can begin to show the world that there is a person that can lead you into wholeness, lead you into completeness in your life, and that person is Jesus Christ? You see, I don't believe that the hope of the world is the government. I don't believe that the hope of the world are not is nonprofits. I believe the hope of the world is Jesus Christ and His Holy Spirit acting through the local church. We are the ones to be called out. Into the brokenness, into the, the government where things are so divided, into the families that are broken, into the communities that are that are divided, into all the places to restore God's shalom, his wholeness, his completeness to a world that is in need. That was what God is calling us to do. We are called to get the message of Jesus Christ out because there are people right now that are standing in brokenness, and they don't know the answer, and they're just changing their physical circumstances because they think that's what they're supposed to do. And they haven't done some of the deep inner work. They don't really see that the answer they're seeking is a deep spiritual need to change their identity, which will then change their choices, which will then change their actions and the results in their life. We have the answer. We need to tell the people about that. A simple way you can do that is very just simply you've got two uh, door hangers in your your program. And you can just go up to somebody and invite them to a Christmas Eve service where we're going to be talking about Jesus. Invite them to church. And like I said, if that's too much with you, just go hang it on their doorknob and, and do something and then pray for them. God wants to bring wholeness and redemption to a broken world to bring us back to what he planned for us. Will you pray with me? God, I pray that this Christmas season, Lord, uh, God, you tr- you are constantly pursuing us, trying to bring us back to the original pattern that you had for us, the original design, that we would live up to the potential that you called us into, God, to be a part of your plan to redeem not just us, but to redeem this world, Lord. God, help us to yield to a pursuing God, and to help our hearts follow you, Jesus. In your precious name we pray. Amen.